Ladies and gentlemen, you guessed it. This episode of the Web3 show with LEO Trades focuses on the developing story surrounding FTX and Alameda Research, Sam Bankman, Freed and the gang, and what is going on with the collapse of FTX and the contagion effect it's going to have on the rest of the crypto industry and even outside of the crypto industry. We talk about the impact to celebrities like Tom Brady that invested considerable sums of their net worth into FTX. We talk about just the ins and outs of what's gone down so far, what FTX knew, what Binance knew, and just all of the action that we're seeing. I mean, really 12 hours in the crypto world is like 24 hours now, and it's a developing story. SBF has now officially tweeted uh, his side of the story. I don't know. Things are gnarly. There was a lot to talk about. It's a, it's a great episode. Hope you enjoy it. Good afternoon to the East Coast. Good morning to the West Coast. You have tuned into the Web3 show with the one and only LEO Trades. On this show, we discuss all things Web3, crypto, traditional finance, macro conditions, NFTs, uh, real estate, whatever, gaming, technology, entertainment, all of the above. And boy, do we have a lot to discuss today. The past 48 to 72 hours in crypto have been some of the gnarliest, many have said, and things are only getting more interesting. I'm your host, P.O., here with my wonderful co-host, the one and only Elio Trades, the creator of the Imposters Gaming NFT ecosystem, which is on the rise, the prolific YouTube content creator. Check out the Elio Trades YouTube channel. And of course, my co-founder and business partner, Nifty Nick, one of the funniest and sometimes most controversial people in the business. Uh, yeah, just kidding with you, Nick. But anyway, gentlemen, how are we doing? Uh, I, I was saying earlier on, on the morning show, it seems like these days, 12 hours is the new 24 hours in crypto. It's been pretty gnarly. What do you guys think of what's going on? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like as a content creator, when stuff like this happens, it's, you know, the, it's pretty simple, right? Because there's so much going on. It's, you know, a big enough job just to keep up with it as opposed to, you know, coming up with sort of nuanced topics to dig into. But one of the things that is happening right now is that we're starting to see the truth about this FTX situation starting to come to light. Now, one of the one of the craziest things about crypto is that the truth comes out. You know, you, you have a lot of these financial institutions like the legacy institutions, and you don't get to see the dirty laundry aired out a lot of times. Uh, but because the blockchain is transparent in the way that it is, you start to see uh, some of the backstories here that could better help you, you know, explain uh, what's going on right now, because we are starting to see a rumor mill. So first of all, we have CPI print this morning, the first bullish CPI print. Remember, remember what I've been saying this whole time is all of this is symptom as to this macro change in the rule set that the Fed has been giving us to play with. Like last year, the rule set was uh, be as degenerate as possible. And then they changed the rule set so dramatically that it literally broke so many uh, sort of setups within crypto. And we're going to see, uh, in my opinion, if this keeps going in, in the mainstream financial world too. But now we're getting to see the story as to like exactly when these things happened, when the fallout actually started. Um, and we're starting to see some pretty interesting rumors going on today about FTX and when this whole situation actually began. Um, and it actually starts a lot earlier than what it seems like, which was this sort of like uh, this balance sheet leak. Uh, we're going to dive into it. Obviously, there's a bunch of macro stuff to cover. Um, and, uh, and yeah, what's going on, Nick? Uh, I'm just enjoying uh, the market and also the activity on Twitter. You do have to parse through uh, to figure out like basically every tweet at this point is like, uh, ninety percent chance uh, that it's inaccurate. Um, but there was one that was uh, recently uh, coming out where it was like some people saw that they were able. The, the the rumor like in the past hour that I saw was people were able to withdraw some of their funds actually. But now I'm seeing and, and then and then they weren't. I don't know if that was like an error in the button, <laughs> like like more like a one of the developers on the team was like, "Whoop, we clicked the wrong trigger here." Um, but yeah, it seemed. Uh, it's it's pure chaos basically at this at this point in time and you got sbf uh apologizing you got my twitter app kind of working like i don't know if you guys are experiencing this do your notifications like no longer work properly yeah i couldn't change my um my my display name yesterday there's a bunch of stuff not working with twitter but you know elon promised that it would be broken for a bit so i think it's great i think it's great that he's gonna break stuff and fix it again um in the end you know twitter is the one of the most useful i believe it's Twitter and YouTube to me are just like the most useful platforms for for uh, information and for you know content. That's where I invest my time. And so you know if if Twitter becomes even more immersive and interesting and, and fun, uh, let's see it happen. Um, I'm I'm all for it. Break it and then fix it, Elon. Um, but yeah, no, there's a bunch of stuff not working for me. Uh, 
I, I did want to bring this up and I, I sent this to you guys in DM if you want to pin it. Um, and, uh, and it's just, this is something that's been in the back of my head for a long time. Um, and I'm glad that someone else brought it out because, and, and what made this really interesting is that Suzu who decided to reemerge during the FTX collapse. And this is what's really interesting. Look at the characters that reemerged during this collapse. Look at who emerged. It was Doquan and Suzu. What do those two people have in common, right? They both got wiped off the board during the Luna collapse, right? And they were not as big as SBF, but they were the absolute titans of the industry, right? And they were, and they were riding high. And so you have those two people decide out of nowhere to come back to life and to, and to reactivate their accounts the day that, F, uh, that SBF gets wiped off the board by CZ. Why? Why? And so now we have this tweet by, by Nario um, Nafal, uh, and he tweets SBF. Uh, you can pin it up here. I sent it to you guys. Well, we have yeah, from another source. One. Well, you're going to pin from another. Okay, cool. Uh, anyway, this is the one that Suzu retweeted. That's the reason why I sent it to you is because Suzu retweeted uh, this particular tweet by Mario. And that's why I, it, I don't know if it's a rumor mill or if it starts to make a lot more sense, <laughs> which is, again, SPF is responsible for Luna. CZ knew this. SPF intentionally took down three arrows, moved funds from FTX to support Alameda post 3AC. CZ approached SBF but got ignored, and then CZ then attacked as a last resort. Uh, so, okay, so the way that this would play out is that effectively SBF uh, was the reason. I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, Alameda was accused of, I don't know if this is true, but they were accused of being super predatory in all of these DeFi pools um, and that they would go and just farm and dump every new DeFi token. They would just lump in size because the way that DeFi works is you put in collateral you put in like stable coins you put in some kind of asset and you would get paid out in whatever that new native token is of that platform and so there was a number of platforms that they just farmed to the to absolute insanity and then just aggravated like just dumped the heck out of it um, and then another thing that FTX was doing was they were listing those early tokens on FTX so you could short them so you know I guess logically you would see them probably list the token farm it sell it down and make money on the short, right? So you had this just sort of massive machine for expanding capital. Um, and so I think that was one of the plays that kind of made them so big. Of course, that's why people were so, so upset uh, with the concept that F uh, SBF would even be anti-DeFi because it's like, dude, that's how you got here was by you know essentially being PVP in these DeFi farms. And so then you have a situation where um, what happened with Luna was, if you guys remember, the curve pool is where this whole attack started. So on Curve, for those who don't use like DeFi, um, effectively Curve allows you uh, to pool funds into liquidity pools, um, and it was one of the biggest stablecoin swap pools. So the, the kind of purpose of Curve was to get you from one stablecoin to the next in size. So say I had USDT and I wanted USDC or DAI uh, or USDP or any of the like tons of stablecoins out there, I could get into the biggest, uh, highest liquidity swaps. So say I wanted to do like a million dollars swap between USDT and USDC. Well, if you go to Uniswap at the time, you were actually getting some pretty nasty slippage. So you would lose like, and, and it doesn't feel like, especially when you're doing stable coins, you wanted to get it to like as close to one-to-one -one as possible. Yeah. You don't want to lose money going from a stable coin to a stable coin. So you're like, okay, well, I don't want to lose a hundred grand going swapping from USDT to USDC. That sounds unreasonable. So they created the, the big money brains, created Curve that was supposedly just the purpose was to get uh, nice swaps between stablecoins. So what was UST, the, the Terra stablecoin? Well, that was a, a stablecoin. And so what, it, what happened was somebody attacked the UST reserve pool on, um, on Curve. Now, I don't know if that was SBF but, or Alameda, um, but that sounds like, I don't know if that's what this allegation is, but effectively the, the destabilization of Luna all started from the Curve pool where the peg of UST got you know, depegged. And, um, and then that started the chain reaction uh, and the collapse of Luna, where people started to try to get out of UST and then they realized there was bad debt, meaning that UST couldn't actually be redeemed uh, $4 and that sent an infinite inflation glitch into the Luna asset, sent it down to zero. And I so- um, sorry, go ahead, Nick. Well, I was just going to say, it, it is like a convenient explanation that's like, it, it, it like paints, this narrative is quite an interesting one, only in the sense that it like paints uh, SBF in terms of like uh, th their aggressiveness that they were playing there resulted in the collapse of uh, a stable coin. I feel like the responsibility, even in that situation, is on Luna, like regardless of what, if, if there was a, a glitch in the system that you were able to exploit, like obviously there's uh, people that ended up losing significant amounts of funds as a result of it. Um, but I feel like inevitably it, it, like to, to hold them accountable for uh, the collapse of Luna 
is an is is just an interesting scenario to be like it's an in, it's an interesting narrative basically just to to well, say the and, least. and also let's be real it benefits suzu right this, yeah. this this is one that if i was suzu this would this would be one that i'd hop on if because it makes me look better right yes. um and so we, you just have to you know definitely take everything with a grain of salt but what we've seen is that the it's like what did elon must say like a while ago he was like the most interesting outcome is the most likely um or the craziest outcome there's something there's some sort of like murphy's law situation here where the most insane outcomes seem to be the most likely ones at least in 2022 in cryptocurrency because nobody would have put any of these any of these things on their bingo card i mean maybe the high yield um centralized servers uh trapping funds that would have been probably on a lot of people's bingo cards in the long term um but the complete destruction in one day of luna the complete destruction of of uh, FTX down to uh, a Sequoia marking the investment as a zero on their balance sheet uh, and and making that uh, communication with investors. That is um, that it's just shocking, right? It's just shocking. So um, what's what's really interesting, and we can talk about this a little more, is you know how do we get here? Because the truth about this is almost stranger than fiction. Um, and you just wonder, first of all, how many people knew, um, and if pretty much no one knew, like how did how could this have gone down with such massive size on on the blockchain? without people sniffing this, you know, because th these huge, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars moving around is is usually stuff that's pretty easy to and invisible. Um, and I think that that's the biggest surprise for me is that this wasn't more easily sniffed uh, to, if it did happen uh, to Alameda. Yeah, uh, well, exactly. It, it's, I don't know, the timing of this tweet is is interesting um, uh, it, to, to say the least. I, I like this uh, sort of narrative. The bigger question right now that we still have not... Um, has not played out is whether or not uh, funds will become accessible. And and that's that's the biggest question at this point in time and what the implications of this FTT collapse is for uh, Alameda and for FTX. Like, to be fair, I don't know how anyone can trust SBF at this point in time, like just in terms of what went down. And like his tweet, I don't know if you saw this uh, this morning, Elio, the, the, his tweet basically being like, oh, whoops, my bad, I'm sorry. Um, where in it, he essentially like uh, explains that the error was a mislabeling of a transfer or something like that. Was like essentially what he was trying to say. Well, he said there were two errors. Um, but in neither of those errors did he mention that, uh, oops, also uh, FTX lent money to Alameda to go trade with. Like, I, I don't know, it just feels like that to me seems like the, the biggest offense at this point in time. But he said that, uh, the first time he, he said the first one was a poor internal labeling of bank related accounts, meaning I was substantially off in my sense uh, sense of user's margin. I thought it was way lower. Um, so he's now just like, uh, you know, accounting it to that. Um, and then there was another thing, uh, which was uh, that he said, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on what the, the second one was actually, um, but the the. Biggest explanation to me is like, bro, you lent user deposits. I feel like that's irreconcilable at this point. Like, I don't know how, like, he's, he's going to avoid uh, jail time. Um, but I also saw P.O. share the other tweet that I'd seen was that there were actual tr uh, withdrawals um, coming out of FTX. But then I saw that it got frozen. So I don't know if there's a follow on. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so there, there's definitely some weird, uh, I mean, there's an attempt right now uh, by someone somewhere to start opening up withdrawals again. Uh, I don't fully understand what's going on, but uh, His Excellency Justin Sun, uh, who's uh, yeah. <laughs> who's a character from from what feels like a long time ago now in crypto, but uh, he came back into the picture and apparently has been trying to at least guarantee the withdrawals of of Tron related assets from FTX. And some of the you know some of the more uh, CT uh, trader crowd that I follow, the types of folks who would have you know funds on FTX, started to go kind of crazy about this. And so I don't know if this new like reopening of withdrawals had anything to do with uh, His Excellency, but um, I'd like to know what exactly that means. Uh, that he was is he trying to mint more assets? Is he going to like buy them all himself? Um, if you guys don't know the story about Justin Sun, he effectively like sold the Pico top of um, of the twenty. 1718 bull run um he sold something like personally like one billion dollars of tron um trx right at the peak of like 30 something cents uh which it's never gotten to again um and uh and then when DeFi, he pretty much just like hodled and uh and ended up like creating this massive portfolio and when um when DeFi summer rolled around he was the other massive DeFi whale just farming everything he farmed 
everything. He was moving like billions in size. I remember one day he got liquidated like a billion dollars and he was just on Twitter, like LOLing. Like, and I just like, was like, Oh my God, how deep are these, or how deep is this, is this wallet? Um, but anyway, so, so Justin Sun, um, his excellency is apparently trying to save people on FTX, but I don't really understand that plan. If anyone has like, can put yeah. in the comments, uh, drop us a comment on, on below this with that purple button and, and give us some more color on his excellency's plan. And, well, and real quick, I, Nick, before you go, Justin Sun was listening to our show live uh, for the first like 15 minutes of it yesterday. So he's he's active right now. Uh, Nick, go ahead. Someone uh, ping him. Get him in here to explain it. <laughs> well, I, I had uh, I had a conversation with their team about an interview last year, but uh, that ended up uh, falling through. And he was, they were like, can you write a document about like what your show is? And I was like, you know, what? I'm good. Like this is <laughs> like I'm, I'm uh, it's all good. Uh, we'll, we'll wait until the future. Justin Sun is an interesting character, though. So in terms of the context of what was offering Originally, what he was saying is that he was working on specific tokens being able to uh, withdraw off the platform, which to me is quite an odd scenario. There were a couple of things that happened as well. There was a Tron-based uh, back stablecoin, which had de-pegged. And I forget what, the, what uh, that USD, one is. USDD. It was his version of, yeah. uh, of Luna. And supposedly, one of the, the rumors uh, that were go was going around was that SBF was essentially forcing the de-peg and saying, look, I'm going to wreck your uh, your token if you don't help provide liquidity essentially and so, so uh, that that was like the the argument gun to the head you got to provide liquidity now I don't know like that's not that has not been verified what's insane is the amount of tweets going on of like Slack messages being leaked like Kobe's tweeting Slack messages from SBF that are internal that he got verified by multiple employees at the company which to me is just like absolutely ludicrous at this point in time but um. It sounded like Justin was essentially providing liquidity to those specific tokens, which to me is crazy. Like, what? So, okay, so can anyone now just transfer their USD into Tron? Like, is that the path forward? And then, more importantly, is that actually a, does that net out in that sort of scenario if everyone, because inevitably everyone's going to dump their Tron or whatever token so that they can get the, the end outcome after yesterday seeing, I don't know if it was on this show. Uh, I think we were discussing on this show that we saw um, that those accounts were being sold for 10 cents on the dollar. And so, or five, f somewhere between five and 15 cents. So if people could get literally anything at this point, uh, that's, that's what they would be hoping for. The transactions that are happening that people are reporting on the blockchain, though, as far as I'm aware, are not occurring uh, in Tron. They're happening with ETH, B, B, uh, BUSD, and, uh, well, what's TUSD? Is that, uh, is that one? Uh, no, that, I, I believe TUSD is tr trust, uh, uh, trust dollar or something. I'm not, I'm actually sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, but but I did send you uh, one thing here, which is um, which is more. It's a transitional topic, but I think the main thing here is that any ca capital that comes in is going to be welcomed by SBF and going to be attempted to be sort of uh, uh, you know immediately reflected into withdrawals because uh, that's the goal is just to get customers out their money. If you know, uh, and then I saw a take effectively saying there's three explanations for the withdrawals. Um, either you know there's some kind of funding has been raised. Um, or I forgot what number two is. And the third was like a rogue employee, just like saying like, fuck it, I'm going to open the spigot if I can. Um, because you know, these are the times where you start to see, uh, people trying to, you know, this is, this is the wild west, you know, if someone can rob the bank and, and give it, you know, give it out to the people whose, whose money was stolen, they're going to do that. And, um, and so it's a really interesting time where we're, we're witnessing uh, a screenplay slash history slash we're in the simulation for sure. Um, but we also had this all paired with what is a, you know, in, in any other week, a very interesting topic, which is the CPI has just printed an extremely soft reading, which remember what I was saying to you guys, which is this is all symptomatic of uh, effectively the Fed's policies and that, you know, people are asking for like, hey, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? And the light at the end of the tunnel, I kept saying is just, hey, look, when the inflationary bear market turns and eventually starts to resolve itself, risk assets will once again gain traction. And while all of this stuff is like, absolutely unthinkable. And what we've learned for sure is that the risk takers and the centralized players in crypto are just as bad, if not worse than in traditional finance. Like these are just the same greedy finance bros that are trying to quote, use efficiency on their balance sheet and willing to lever up to the gills just to do it. Like that is no different than what you're seeing at like these, you know, uh, hedge funds that you're seeing, uh, you know, in, in the Wolf of Wall Street sort of type hedge funds. Right. And so the, the risks that are being taken in the background of 
these centralized players is what we learned from FTX is really no different. Now, is that because of the Luna collapse that they ended up levered like this, that they had to lever up and that they were kind of on borrowed time and covering it up with leverage? That might be a good explanation as to why someone like Sam who walked into Congress, which is where like the, I think that's where the feeling of betrayal comes from is after naming a sports arena and after uh, having Tom Brady invest his fortune into you and after getting Larry David to make a Super Bowl ad and after all of these things, that's when you decide to, you know, go into Congress and tell everyone like how you're like in detail, all the practices and, and the balance sheet um, sort of like safety that differentiates crypto from TradFi um, and then have this happen. I think that's the, the, the real feeling of betrayal uh, is that, you know, you didn't, you know, if you were doing all this, you could have just like shut up in the background and run it more like a shadowy super coder. But instead you tried to like come off like the, the golden child, you know? He really it, did. Uh, Nick, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I was going to echo what you just said, which is basically like, it's it's essentially like a quant hedge fund person sort of like uh, operating as the front man of, of, of the band. And and, and it's, quite, it's it's an interesting, it's, it's an interesting look. Uh, it, you know, a lot of the um, uh, videos and images coming out from it, it's sort of just like, I mean, at this point, I feel like a lot of us are just feeling like, man, fuck this dude. Like there's nothing that this guy can say that short of... Everyone's money has been um, has been uh, like all of the depositors' money has been paid out, and even then, I don't know that anyone's gonna. Everyone's gonna be like, "Cool, they got paid out. Like, good luck on your life. Get the fuck out of here." Is kind of like the general vibe, at least that that I'm getting. Because, and when I say what when I'm uh, vibe that I'm getting, I'm saying for myself. Like, I'm just I'm, I'm like like who the hell is this? like the. It's the amount of uh, ego involved in this, and even to see the messages that he tweeted this morning, dude. Nobody wants an apology. Like that's not what anybody's li- like. They want their money. That's the only thing that matters at this point. It's like shut the fuck up. <laughs> like no, no one wants I, to hear about this. I, I will say so. If you're following the withdrawals thread, uh, <laughs> somebody goes, "There's 7.2 million in withdrawals." Also, shout out to the guy who deposited 21 grand somewhere. There's a god tier degen who is trying to arb weird prices on FTX and withdraw some niche asset to get processed like ship. Like there's <laughs> just like that's that's what's crazy about what we're seeing is that I would have never guessed that withdrawals would come on even for for a, a blink. Um, and then you saw I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, there's some weird stuff right now where Alameda appears to be trying to swap assets like USDC into USDT. And now the suspicion is that they're trying to do like a circular ARB like leverage where they're trying to like um, swap USDC, borrow USD, then get USD and then mint more USDC than keep running a cyclical game like that where they could end up with some kind of liquidity to bounce. I have no idea what's going on right now, but people uh, apparently tether just froze their assets um, at the behest of law enforcement. um, And that is per uh, Paolo Adrino, who's the CTO of Tether. I did see the freezing of assets. The thing that was interesting is they had, uh, whatever had happened, it hit its low of 98 cents and is uh, currently back uh, pegged to the dollar. Um, so fortunately, there was only, uh, well, I'd say fortunately, it basically lost its peg starting at uh, 7.20 yesterday and really accelerated this morning. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, well, at this point, yeah, on coin market cap, it's basically uh, $1. Is it 0.9999? Uh, moments ago. So that's been reconciled. I was also commenting this morning, I didn't realize they could freeze those funds. Like, how do you, how, how does Tether free, I guess on the contract, you can prevent certain addresses from trading. Is that the situation? Yeah. So coins like um, USDC, I didn't know Tether had it. I thought Tether was, uh, it wasn't like this, but you know, they might've added it recently to deal with law enforcement, but uh, USDC for sure. Uh, you've heard of those blacklist addresses. So, you know, this kind of goes to uh, this conversation where we shout out to Gabriel Layden, who's in the audience. We were talking about this as, as it pertains to NFTs, which is, you know, there's this concept of being able to sort of shut down um, where they can operate and add controls uh, to NFTs uh, as it pertains to royalties. And that stuff exists uh, for USDC uh, because they've had, you know, they're quote regulated and they're trying to be, you know, like a pseudo CBDC, right? Like C- USDC is probably the closest thing that we'll get to like a CBDC um, asset. And if the government doesn't make their own CBDC, they'll probably just um, slowly creep more and more sort of contract level controls into things like USDC. Um, and that's kind of like where you start to see the real um, rubber hit the road. Like right now we're seeing the government and, and regulators start to go hands-on into this whole situation in a way that they probably wouldn't have as clearly because they, you know, they 
maybe didn't want to, maybe they didn't even want to be known as having all these controls. But what we're going to start seeing is, um, you know, I, I tweeted this after the Luna collapse. I said, you know, the next big wave here is the regulatory wave uh, because after stuff like this happens, this is different than assets just going down in value, right? You have Carvana is down almost, uh, you know, 100% uh, from its highs. But that's not necessarily a malfunction of the market. That's just um, a shitco, right? And so you have this uh, drop of, of, of a company like Carvana, which just didn't deserve its valuation. And then you have, you know, there's no malfunction, right? Nobody can say, oh, I couldn't get my Carvana stock out. Um, but when you have a malfunction in the market, that's when it really doesn't feel fair, right? Um, it just doesn't feel fair for users. And that's where the government was going to get involved. And now you see FTX adding even more, uh, another sort of black swan. And you're going to see the regulators start to come out swinging, right? We're going to see what kind of, what kind of actions they're going to take on chain. It's going to be, I guess, uh, interesting to watch at least you'll see which you'll see which assets are actually free assets you'll see which assets are truly controlled and again this kind of brings back what i've been talking a lot like these whole situations create bitcoin maximalism i was going to say uh talking about shit coins tech stocks having an absolute ripper of the day some of these stocks up uh 20 i was looking at uh, moments ago unity up 26 percent affirm up 20 percent shopify up 17 percent square up 16%. It's pretty incredible some of the um, the, the sheer direction going on uh, in the market right now on this uh, CPI print. I'm wondering, uh, I, from your perspective, you were discussing basically, you, you said, look, I, uh, I'm going to keep my cash on the sidelines um, for, for now. And uh, you know this bottom is not going to just be a V-shaped bottom. This is something that's going to take time. When it, uh, so A, I'm wondering like, uh, on these sorts of days, do you have FOMO about some of the action? Do you like DCA at all? And then the other part of this, I saw something uh, circulating. Uh, there was, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the guy. I'll find the tweet that I was looking at. Peru, I think I think is his name. But he um, he was tweeting out, he was like, look, I said it before, uh, the, the Fed doesn't need to actually raise interest rates. They just need to stop printing money. And, uh, and essentially, once they stop printing money, we'll see the inflation uh, tail off. Now that was a more like uh, aggressive, um, uh, yeah. Peros, Peru Saxena is this guy I ended up following, I guess, during the, uh, uh, when the market, uh, during all the chaos of the, uh, uh, COVID market that was going on essentially. Um, but he was saying, uh, basically the clueless Fred is fed and he posted this, uh, November 2nd. So a week ago is driving the U S economy into the ground. Uh, the correlation is between MT, M2 growth and CPI. Money supply growth has already collapsed. Inflation will follow, aka they don't need to raise interest rates anymore is his sort of argument. Rate, rates and actual inflation are correlated for sure on a certain level. But what, what people really need to understand is that um, like asset prices and net liquidity are far more correlated. And um, what we'll see right now, I guess, to the, more to the point, which is everyone's wanting to know, like, what does this mean for our bags, right? So there's, there's two sides to this. There is the um, expectation of pivot, right? And so you have like all these people looking to expect the pivot and aggressively buy the pivot. So there's that camp, right? People are just waiting to buy the heck out of the pivot. And then there's a real question of like, okay, so where did the asset values really come from? And where does, the, where does that like fuel come from? And so those two sides are kind of different questions. Like you're going to see like, to me, when you see a CPI print that's like soft, but still well above 7%, right? Like, and people are cheering it as if this is a victory. Um, and meanwhile, there's a really interesting thread we just pinned up here by Bob Elliott, I, um, where he kind of digs in to the underlyings as to how the CPI print came in softer than expected. Um, and I would say that really just the overall uh takeaway here is it's really unclear uh, if this is a permanent change to CPI or if this came from a few kind of underlyings in the medical categories and used cars. Um, the main point here is that um, you have a narrative of people still with this animalistic by the dip spirit. And that to me is something that is not a marker of a bottom. Um, you know, we've said it a lot of times, the bottom comes when nobody wants to buy. And I thought uh, if we were to keep dumping, <laughs> that we would end up getting this sort of real bottom, right? Because with FTX collapsing, those are the kind of like mental breaks that like really, really, really take people. I heard lots of people I respect in the industry. You saw FinTech Frank, you saw Kobe, you saw folks that are like, oh, geez, right? People who way predate me in this industry uh, saying, you know what, this FTX thing kind of mentally broke me. And, um, and it was so unexpected and it was so dark. And those are the types of black swan negative events that actually can lead to real bottoms. And, and uh, then you get this bullish CPI print and it's kind of shows you that there is this wafer thin liquidity in mainstream markets. There's this aggressive desire to buy the dip and to, and to front run the Fed pivot. 
Um, and meanwhile, it's unclear whether or not this is a, a permanent change in inflation, but it's a good it's a good CPI print. Let's just get this out. There. It's a good thing to see CPI coming down. But the actual reasons for it, as you dig into it, are not like super sustainably clear. And we're coming into winter where you'd imagine there'll be some energy inflation. Um, go ahead, Nick, before I make my next point. Well, well, the thing you were talking about, about people being broken, like, uh, I mean, there was legit fear yesterday. There were a couple of times, or there's only been twice that uh, I pulled out of GUSD, and yesterday was to a degree where I'm like, I don't want any money, <laughs> like basically in in uh, in in their earning interest at this point in time. Like it, you you had been mentioning, hey, that this is a uh, it's a no brainer. You shouldn't have money in stable coins earning interest, but whatever. Despite that, that was a position that we were in, and yesterday I was like, man, uh, Elliot, spot on here in this like at this moment in time. I feel like there, I had made an irresponsible decision. Um, so that was one. I think a lot of people were feeling that. I don't think that the outcome of that has been uh, reconciled. Like I don't think the the damage that's been done was just resolved in 24 hours. That everyone that was like, oh, my funds are tied up in FTX, but oh, yay, the CPI print is very optimistic right now. Like I, I, I feel like a lot of those people are like, fuck, my money's still in uh, FTX at this point in time. What the hell? Like, get, like give me my cash. And the uh, and the last comment was you, you mentioned how Kobe had had said that that uh, episode where they had a Do Kwan on seeing the looks on their faces I've never seen uh, a group of like a group of people so emotionally down bad on an episode I mean it was pretty it, it was it, it was challenging to like watch basically because I'm just like damn they're not even able to like create content right now. Like Kobe was laying on the floor. They also I, I, just <laughs> lost their money though is the thing, right? Because FTX was the main sponsor for up only. Co and Kobe's think, crazy I rich. Uh, no, I, I uh, just, I don't think that that was a factor respectfully, P.O. Um, from based on what I know that that sponsorship was not uh, a meaningful piece of their, of their economic worlds. Uh, they were, they were feeling the pain of the industry, uh, I believe. And they were sort of reflecting on the, the sadness of uh, the, of the scam, right? Of the Sam scam, right? Uh, that was what they were, that's what my perception of it was. Um, you know, based on my understanding, uh, they're very highly successful traders that are OGs and don't keep all their money on exchanges. Uh, if they did lose some money, I don't think it was uh, highly significant to their overall net worth. I think they were just sad for the industry because, and, and I was too, man. Last night I found myself pretty upset. Like I never get upset. I never ever like like get angry towards other people in the industry. I always am like, oh, I made a bad decision or how can I grow? And I always take responsibility. But I found, and, and, and the thing was FTX US still processing withdrawals. FTX US, everything's okay, whatever. Um, but the, the the pain I felt for the industry itself and for the reputational damage that FTX uh, failing would would mean was actually palpable. And and I and I I was really uh, found myself just fluctuating between emotion last night, and and I was pretty upset. So I will I will go ahead and join in on that party of feeling um, really really uh, like kicked in the stomach. I felt that as well. I I didn't. I wasn't crying, but I felt <laughs> like I, I legit. I was like, man, why do I feel so deeply sad right now? And I, and and it was just like, there's like, a there's a lot of people who uh, lost money. If the Wall Street Journal article, I mean, we don't know what the situation is in terms of like uh, what's going to happen with FTX. Are people going to get their funds? Ideally, you want that versus uh, bankruptcy, which was uh, is an ongoing uh, conversational thread there because a lot of the people that had their money in uh, Lunar, what was the uh, exchange that um, uh, Celsius, the Celsius uh, you know, don't have their money. Uh, I, I think this is uh, an order of magnitude on that. But uh, Kobe had mentioned something as well. A lot of people, I think, really b bought into the branding side of it, and you want and 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 uh, as an industry as a whole. We kind of wanted someone like that to exist, to especially you know outside of just Binance and CZ, that there that there would be this brand that existed that was a champion of crypto that you could like rally behind. Essentially, I, I kind of recall something similar. Facebook wasn't always hated and despised the way that that it is uh, today. I think like right now, uh, in terms of like love for the brand Facebook, I feel like it's not at an all time high, and I, that's not uh, uh, rocket science to figure that out. But for a moment, at the beginning of uh, what, what's now social media, uh, even pre-Twitter, there was a lot of just blind optimism about this space. And you were rooting for essentially uh, even Mark Zuckerberg, who was you know incapable. A lot of people make fun of him as a robot and all this other stuff right now. You kind of wanted this like apparent like sort of underdog geek to kind of win. And it was representative more of a lot of people who were feeling like, they hadn't been seen, they hadn't been heard, and that now there's like someone who's like 
now the geeks, you know, get to run things. And I think that sort of vibe uh, continues throughout the tech industry uh, to a certain uh, did. Now there's going to obviously be a lot of corresponding hate, I think, towards um, that sort of category of people, the geeks and the nerds, whatever you want to say, just in the sense that like the, the, the nerd of all nerds, someone running a quant hedge fund, essentially, uh, or uh, recruiting teams of people from quant hedge funds, essentially, you know, uh, robbed the de the depositors at this point in time. And but last during the Super Bowl, when FTX ads were running, and we got Gabe uh, Layden here who say uh, who has a uh, a Super Bowl ad that's that's going to run as well. But when you see those sorts of things, an equivalent cycle happened for social media and Facebook and all this other stuff. And it was like, oh shit, people are putting hashtags on the television, basically. Oh shit, people are saying follow me on Facebook or, oh, wow, like people are saying these different things. So if you were in that space at that moment in time, it w it felt really good. And I think FTX was able to do something similar to say, holy shit, Steph Curry's out here buying a board ape. He's out here being represented by FTX and some of these other things. And if you're in the industry, regardless uh, of, of uh, what you think about any of these different people, it was basically saying, Fuck yeah, we're gonna win, basically, and 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 that's what's going on. And then to have uh, the the brand, which regardless of whether or not you think you know they utilized their money properly, it's pretty clear now that they didn't. But it, they were g doing that fight, and I think that that's something. The brand reputation of the crypto industry is one that up until now, or or especially post ICO days, was awful. People are like, it's just a bunch of scams. And now this big brand comes along and looks like a legitimate brand that's representing the the space, and just turns out that that person was fucking everybody over. And it's a it's a it's a gut punch, like you were describing, to the industry as a whole. Because now, what, what like are is crypto as a whole going to have a bad reputation because of this one fucking asshole, basically? Yeah, yeah, and like I don't know, I kind of fancy myself a suspicious mf'er, right? Like I've not, I've just seen, you know, when I came into crypto, all of the talk was just like it's like you're going to get scammed so like the whole dance is just don't get scammed don't get scammed like it was like I, that was it it was that was all anyone would talk about is just how to not get scammed and there was not really as much talk about um there was like the ethos of crypto and decentralization and then there was like oh by the way everything you see and every link and every person is a scam so just keep that in mind and um and so like there was just this like innate suspicion um and then you started seeing things like binance and coinbase over years and years effectively show that there are at the exchange level at these big exchanges ways to run them in sort of sustainable ways that don't end up like failing, right? And don't end up getting hacked. I mean, the biggest thing was exchange hacks, right? That was the big thing of Mt. Gox hack and all that stuff. And so people were like, oh, the big thing about exchanges is they get hacked, so you always self-custody. Um, and then I just, I, I read this tweet today and, and this kind of summarizes like what's going on. This person didn't lose money, but they were like, I cried for the first time in a long time. I spent the, uh, the day on the phone with homies who had made it and now lost 99% of their net worth on FTX. The thing is, I didn't know what to say. The TLDR on his tweet, it's a long tweet, is, yeah, crypto is no different than TradFi um, if you let FTX, uh, you know, entities like FTX you know, gamble with the family jewels. What I think is the next layer of this is really figuring out, you know, and, and you know, I, I don't want to like humanize anyone here because I think it's inhuman to have an $8 billion hole. Uh, that's just a level of, you know, that's a level of disregard that is hard to comprehend. Um, and uh, and yeah, like it's one thing if you lose. It's one thing if a project loses and just doesn't get supported by the market. It's one thing if the market loses, right? And and just Bitcoin gets dumped and like people aren't interested in crypto. Like those are all things you take on the chin. Um, but what's hard to take on the chin is you know uh, a centralized negligence, and that's that's where that's where I hate. So like there's two sides of it. You look at FTX US, it's processing withdrawals. Why? Because they were scared of the U.S. regulator and they kept their books clean. So there's just like, there's just like, I don't know, these centralized players should just have their, their shit together. But more importantly, the question for me is, is what's the truth here? When did things blow up? Because was Alameda, was, was FT, uh, FBX or whatever the fuck, Sam, I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. Was, was Sam, was SBX, SBF, LFTX. Like, was, was this guy really talking shit when he was in Congress? Was he like just spewing lies out of his eyeballs? Like, is it possible to be that like disconnected from the, from the actions the consequences of your actions or did he blow up subsequently you know did he did was that like you know where things were and then he blew up in the luna collapse because that to me you know i hate to say it makes more sense you know i i don't know how anyone could single-handedly even sleep or, or withstand the pressure of a daily uh, of a daily grind knowing that there is an imminent collapse of you know millions of people's money across the world i, I don't know like that so 
So like the question is, where is the real, where's the moment where they, you know, dislocated from keeping customer funds? Um, And did they have this game playing the whole time or were they, did they have something happen during the Luna collapse that forced them to take this predatory loan against FTT, which became the death spiral, right? Because that to me, I think is the, is the, is the ugly truth that we'd like to find out. Um, And then, you know, this tweet that came from, you know, I guess an anonymous source is, is saying that they were responsible for the collapse of Luna. What does that mean? You know, how were they responsible? Were they the ones that de-pegged UST? And if so, why? You know, Wait, like why? What? Where, where is that tweet? Did you pin it? Well, that was the one I sent to you that, that Mario tweeted um, that said- Oh, uh, oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's true. We know that somebody targeted UST, but so, then is, so Suzu, remember this was the one we were talking about like an hour ago, um, which is that Suzu retweeted this out of nowhere, which is, where is it? Oh, he unretweeted it. He unretweeted it. I don't, that one feels. Uh, well, I don't want to get into stuff about Mario or any, anything, but yeah, that that. Uh, oh, he unretweeted. That's kind of spicy. I, I would be skeptical of anything uh, coming out of that account from like a breaking news standpoint. And the the replies to that tweet were all a hundred percent filled with skepticism. So I I don't got know. It, I'm, got it. All right. Well, I, I just I was like, why would Suzu retweet it? I mean, it was he. You'd think he has to have some knowledge well, as to how he got taken off the board, right? I, I think emotionally, he wants, obviously, you, you want an explanation. The, the thing that uh, you were describing, though, about uh, SBF in this case is uh, it, there's some interesting stuff there. Primarily, the, you know, uh, I saw a tweet yesterday showing his sort of like health degra- degradation and how he was like speaking on calls. And uh, there were some interviews where, I mean, he's borderline like shaking. And, and I think um, what happened was, like at some point, there was probably some tipping point if I were to speculate. And what, what was being described was there was a giant hole with uh, some bad trades that were being made at uh, Alameda and they needed to fill that hole. And, and inevitably, they could have been lending money to, um, uh, to Alameda like the entire time. Um, but uh, the, the reality is, uh, and you just pinned one of them uh, seeking uh, nearly ten billion dollars, nine point four billion, uh, to fill the current gap. But uh, I, I have a, I have the feeling that they were playing with some of the deposits because what he, I mean, essentially what the what he was monitoring was float, and they were gambling with it because even his description of like what what went on there was was discussing margin and a miscalculation of margin there, aka. We didn't have. He's not saying we didn't have enough money backing all deposits. He's saying we didn't have enough money to support the volume of withdrawals on that one specific day. And to me, that's just indicative of a broader sort of like uh, uh, vibe of saying, yeah, we're comfortable, sw- you know, moving that money around rather than just keeping it in cash. And so that had to have started, and and that's the error. And it, and and to me, the decision, like mentally, to to go through that process to say. Yeah, we should definitely use uh, user deposits to trade with because we're genius traders or hedge fund over here is just making a ton of cash. There had to be some level of ego where you think that like that transitions and someone on the team, basically, whether or not it was SBF, I mean, SBF had to approve it, where they said, yeah, let's use some of it because we have enough to like float the deposits every single day with a significant level of confidence. Like we can say with 100%, we're not going to go over this particular level. So the first error that he even refers to in his thread is essentially one saying, and now now it's gone. Uh, from from what I'm I'm looking at here, no, it's back. Um, Twitter's just having errors. My apologies. But he said basically, my sense before was leverage was zero x USD liquidity ready to deliver twenty four x average daily withdrawals. Actual leverage one point seven x point oh point eight x Sundays withdrawals. To see that sort of number, basically, to me is just saying that, like, okay, you don't even have the cash on board. Like, wh- whatever the daily withdrawal rate, which I'm guessing, I would assume, is a fraction of a fraction of, you know, like the total amount that they would be spending. This mindset to even write this specific thing, yeah, I get it. Like, if you have it in short term things like CDs and something and stuff like that, then okay, cool. Like that, that's uh, a realistic thing, and 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 you can show, hey, it's backed by dollars. Um, but you're going to need to have short-term assets where you can cover that regardless within a 24-hour period. So to say that, like, to get into this place just demonstrates to me, at least personally, a mindset of somebody who's saying, hey, we can borrow. And what cycles as you're going through that process, we, you, uh, yesterday you went and looked up and it was like, oh shit, FTT has been around since 2019. And this is pure speculation, by the way. But what my own observation of someone like this is basically at some point you say, yeah, I'm going to reach inside the cookie jar. And what happens, and then the next level up is, damn, we're printing cash. 
And then the next level is we're going to dig deeper into that cookie jar and we're going to make some cash so I can make bigger donations and be the most effective altruist to the world. And whatever like lie you're telling yourself, you get to this point where you're now at this ridiculous place. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, super, super effective altruism here. And, um, and I think like one of the things is, yeah, so first of all, the leverage is, is clear. What it really underlines, and when you look at like Binance and how they've run their, their entire operation from what it appears, you know, CZ had his tweet and was like, look, we've never taken out loans against our own token. Why? Because, and, and, and to be fair, there's more of a, of a bull narrative around BNB than there was ever around FTT, right? Because BNB has Binance chain and they have like a more diverse ecosystem. And there's a lot of people who are just like long BNB, like people believe in BNB, um, partly because of the, the buyback and burn. But I don't think that's the entire narrative, right? I don't think the entire narrative around BNB is like, oh, they're going to burn this, this quarter. No, like people believe that that asset is is going to be um, an important asset in in crypto, and so then you know you have FTT, um, and really you know they took out a loan where they were the they were mostly the only buyer. Like I don't think I've heard many people talk about FTT. Like there's not a lot of like casual you know sort of like civilians buying FTT. It's not just one of those like popular tokens like that, um, and so you know the, the the difference there is you know CZ was just like look we've never taken out debt. We've never borrowed against our own token and we've always kept like customer funds protected. Um, and this goes back to kind of like, do are do you know sort of like the roots of crypto? You know, it seems like Sam kind of came into crypto um, as more like he admits he wasn't a crypto sort of native guy. He didn't really understand it. He just saw ARB. He saw like volatility in ARB. And he was like, I'm just going to ARB this because I see like price differentials and I know I can ARB this. And, um, and he just played kind of like a finance bro game. And so I think like going back to what you said is, we really have to be wary of anyone with with a finance mentality at the centralized sort of uh, entity level because that's simply not the way to play the game. Crypto uh, is is like being on a knife's edge, right? And and it can turn at any minute. And so understanding that, like, no, in in a traditional um, situation, like you know, you're not going to have the time and the luxury of delays that you might get in traditional finance, where things aren't instant on chain and, um, and sort of like immutable and like, you know, uh, non and like binding, right. And so the fact that uh, SBF just sort of was thinking of things as as far as like ratios of daily withdrawals, which, you know, that sounds kind of good when you say it there, oh, 24 times the average withdrawal we had in USD. But then when you combine it with the actual total amount of debt they had against their depositors, it looks bad. Uh, because I bet their average withdrawals of USD weren't that high, because I bet they mostly have, um, you know, people who leave their funds in there just to trade. Like most of what happens on FTX is people trading the markets um, and building their accounts uh, over time or, or losing their accounts over time. Um, there's not probably as much like USD withdrawals going on um, as, as a, you know, as a ratio of their total deposits. So yeah, like completely, they, they leveraged and then they leveraged again. Um, but my question is, was that always the plan? Because they, they, or did this have some more of a, a sinister tie-in with the events of 2022? I, I'd really love to know the truth. I don't think we have those answers just yet. But it's going back to what you said, man, like the associations with mainstream culture. Um, these are things that like, kind of like when you saw uh, Luna Foundation Guard buying Bitcoin, when you saw Michael Saylor buying Bitcoin, right? You're like, yeah, like, let's go, you know? Um, and then there's like the, the lone sort of like, you know, boring old dude in the corner going, well, What's going to happen when they sell it? And everyone's like, shut up, you know, let's just cheer for this big whale buy. Um, and uh, and then you see like, you know, uh, this is kind of like what happened with FTX doing all these cultural sponsorships and these cultural inroads in marketing. You had like this cultural capital being built up and you felt like, wow, if only CZ was more like cool and culturally relevant and would sponsor like my favorite F1 team. Um, so I could see, you know, a big logo on, on the back of the Fender. Uh, if only, you know, they were they were working with my favorite NBA all-stars and and visible, you know, uh, you know, and worked with my favorite comedian of all time to make a, a hilarious commercial. Well, that would really help crypto. And so, you know, there were these things that like kind of like you root for on the way up, but they have this kind of exponential rocket fuel on the way down. Uh, which is you have, you know, Luna Foundation Guard being a forced seller of Bitcoin was really bad for the industry, right? And now, you know, obviously Michael Saylor, I don't believe he, uh, the way he structured his loans has a, people talk about him getting liquidated. I don't know how, how accurate that is. I, I haven't dug he, into it. He ain't it. getting liquidated, Elliot. Yeah. I seriously doubt it. Yeah, I don't think so. I think he set himself up so he could hodl for, you know, regardless. Um, but, you know, there are these sort of like, at least FTX, you know, we we're all cheering for the exponential multiplier of crypto on the way up. Um, but it becomes a it becomes even worse when things like this happen on the way down uh, because of that. And so that's what I'm feeling most of all is, uh, you know, we would have had a great sort of cool like, hey, should we talk about inflation coming down this week? But instead, we have this black swan where if you look at what happened after Luna, it took a very long time for these things to shake out. 
Um, and the forced selling and contagion are things that we really don't know how bad it is because we've seen just like literally no information, literally no information. So, um, you know, we've seen leaked stuff, but it's nothing's confirmed. Um, there is a lot, a lot of tentacles here. And I would expect this process to take some time. I think it's going to be uh, really a fascinating couple of weeks. Love the way that you're thinking about it, Elliot. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, any questions that you have, click on the little thought bubble on the bottom right of the screen. Leave comments. We do this show Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, uh, noon Eastern time. I brought Spencer on stage, a friend of our show, friend of ours in real life too. Um, Spencer, what prompted you to come up on stage, man? You got your hand raised. Yeah, there is two things. One, um, with the Terra Luna thing, I had always understood that that was Citadel. Um, and I, so I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was Almeida was involved too, but, um, the other thing that I think is interesting about how SBF, like reading between the lines of his most recent tweet thread has been like, um, there, it, it, it seems like this idea that they have value of assets covering deposits is a little bit weird, right? So for like a, a, an entity of their size, um, if they have like a chunk of, the, of a chain, like they might own 10, 20% of a coin, right? And I think that what's going on right now is that they have assets that don't match up with the assets that people supposedly hold, and they can't find liquidity on them, right? Like, a lot of people were talking yesterday about how some of the, like, reason that maybe ETH didn't crash as hard as Bitcoin was because people were swapping alts into ETH, right? And so if, if people on FTX had a lot of ETH and USDC, and then FTX is holding a lot of, like, other coins, then... Even though like the hole in like dollar prices is not that big, they still have this like huge issue of um, their ability to swap into the assets that people are actually trying to withdraw because you, it's not like you can market sell you know whatever shitcoin they were trading um, that quickly into ETH, especially in this environment. And that to me reads what his tweet thread recently was between the lines. Well, <laughs> it's just it's just like it's just it's just not good, right? Like none of it none of it is good because yesterday the hole was eight billion, and today the hole is apparent closer to ten. Um, you know, wonder Binance walked away. Um, I I think Binance walked away not because of the hole size. I see. I you know my belief is that CZ sitting on hundreds of billions, um, and uh, and he could easily plug the hole. Uh, the question for me is um, the regulation aspect, which is. You know, everybody knows that CZ is not exactly best friends uh, with the regulators, which, um, you know, he's he's had sort of, I don't even want to comment on that uh, because because <laughs> I don't want to get into like uh, get into the bad book on CZ's side. But like, let's be real, like that's what started this whole thing was uh, was Sam called out uh, CZ for not being able to go to Washington or something like that. Like that feels like that was really the part of this, right? That was part of this was like, he made kind of like a personal attack on CZ. Um, and we all know CZ's like not really in, you know, or Binance has kind of jumped around jurisdictions and like, you know, had had various sort of short term relationships with regulators. Um, and that as soon as this potential acquisition came out, I think there was an announcement from like the DOJ or the US government, I don't know which branch being like, uh, no, 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 we're not gonna allow that. And so um, the real thing that I think is going on here was there's a regulatory uh, fear here. And so, you know, I don't think it's even about the money because CZ knows having a $10 billion hole that gets passed on to the biggest, most sophisticated, most sort of probably dedicated uh, traders, which is what the audience for FTX was. FTX served nine-figure accounts. FTX served eight and nine and probably 10-figure accounts, right? Like this was not a... Uh, an exchange that just served the sort of little guys like you see on Coinbase, where you have people who are who are putting in 10 bucks and 20 bucks. Like this was the whale uh, sort of palace. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the guy who owns like the one of the rarest crypto punks, uh, uh, Deepak Chain, I think is his name. Um, he said he came out and was like, I'm wrecked. I, I'm down eight or nine figures. And so he was, he's now a forced seller of, of the punk. Um, that, that guy has a, uh, that, that dude runs a blockchain, right? Like it's, it, I think what he was saying is that money was, was assets from, sorry, what was it? Which blockchain? It's Chainlink. That's why he's Deepak. So his name is Deepak Chopra. His like Twitter is at like, you know, Chain, but he, he runs Chainlink. All right. Well, I guess it's Chainlink. I, there was some other token that I saw uh, associated with him, but wh whatever it is. Yeah, it's an enterprise blockchain company that's called Chain, I believe is also a project that he is in charge of. I didn't know that. He, I wasn't aware that he was running Chainlink. That would make sense as well as to how he built, uh, built a big portfolio. But well, anyway, there we go. Yeah, he, yeah he, he. Anyway, people like that, right? Which you would think are probably the most elite and sophisticated in the industry are the folks that were on FTX, right? So that's the thing is, CZ knows that he wants those customers. There's also maybe you know, like these people staying in the game are the types of people that you know essentially stimulate the liquidity across the industry. Uh, them getting wiped off the board is not you know healthy for the industry at all. Um, though you know, retail sentiment getting wiped off is really negative um, sentiment wise. Um, having you know the 
the more institutional folks get wiped off the board um, actually remove sort of functional liquidity from the markets. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know, my, my suspicion, if I were to, you know, uh, take a, take a, you know, a, a tail bet and, and, a, and a low, a low percentage bet, I would say, Hey, I bet CZ would have plugged the hole if not for the regulatory risk. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, that, that's definitively uh, the situation that's going on. It's not in anybody's best interest for, um, for a lot of people to lose their money. I think your point also stands that uh, it was a lot of big whales. FTX was a, a platform that I was not even familiar with until uh, early last year, or maybe even, maybe even to 2020 a little bit, as a lot of the uh, crypto traders that I was following, it, it, it shifted from like stock trading to crypto trading. And a lot of the, um, the crypto trading that was going on there uh, and all the trading accounts that I saw were people trading, uh, quote, perps, which was essentially they had uh, developed essentially a system for building like futures on cryptos, essentially. And so uh, that, that was quite compelling. What was very frustrating for me individually was I was like, I kind of want to get involved with this dege dege uh, degeneracy, uh, it, like complete gambling on some of these uh, futures on these uh, various uh, shit coins, essentially, just because it, it seemed fun. But uh, they were all also offering immense uh, levels of leverage on uh, FTX to people. But all of the like, I wasn't familiar with anyone who was using the product other than those who were basically trading like incredible, like uh, incredibly actively. And uh, so it, uh, that's where I am also wondering is like, what was like, what's the distribution of those accounts? They're talking about billions of dollars. It's not good uh, to see like anybody lose money. You don't want to end up in that situation. To have 80% of your funds tied up there, it just gone is awful. To, and it hurts, frankly, for anybody for whom like, if they had 50K that they lost and that was like all of their money because they had been thinking that investing in crypto could maybe give them higher uh, levels. We don't have any information on that, but it is slowly dripping out. And the stuff that we saw coming out of uh, Wall Street Journal, for example, um, where they were talking about the, the, the total size of deposits on FTX, we're just going to get more of that information as it comes out. The, the real, uh, and, and I think you mentioned this, uh, you were calling it hidden uh I don't know if it was hidden risk or hidden loans. H or hidden leverage. Hidden leverage. Hidden leverage. There you go. Uh, yesterday. That's really the thing that we haven't seen any of this play out. And I'm wondering, it feels like, like, would we have seen those reports already surfacing today? I'm guessing yes. Like, at what point would that cascading effect have occurred? Or, or did we really well, just bottom well, here? Well, no, I mean, uh, so a couple of things, right? What did, what did we see? What coin dumped more aggressively than, than all others yesterday? FTT. FTT and then followed by? Uh, I don't know what to say. Oh, Bitcoin. Solana. Solana. Oh, Solana. Right? Yeah, sorry, and my so, bad. And so what, what contagion here is, so first of all, hidden leverage, right? Hidden leverage in the system was FTT, right? We didn't know that apparently the whole FTX, uh, so so first of all, there's $8 billion of losses here. Uh, that's hidden leverage, right? That was the consequence so far, or 10 now, is, is a hole created by FTT's price weakness. That's a That's something that, you know, in a, in a better world, in a fairer world, in a transparent world that we all want to believe in. And I think that that's part of like, when I get, when I was founding myself getting angry last night, it's that I genuinely believe that crypto can make the world a better place. And that's what brought me in. Cause I was like, wow, there is a way uh, to, to sort of have a, you know, chase, chase my passions and my love of, of technology and development and also add something that's a net positive to users around the world. Um, and that's what really has driven me for five years here. And days like yesterday make it feel like, holy shit, like is the, like this system, uh, the way that FTX was running it, uh, is certainly no better and no fairer uh, to users than, uh, than you know, the, the, pr the prior system. That's for sure. And so that's part of like the frustration for me. Uh, hidden leverage, you asked about like things like Solana, the tentacles of Alameda, the blurring of the balance sheets between Alameda and FTX. Um, those are where we start to see, um, we don't know right now because Alameda right now is, is kind of in like duck and hide mode. So we don't know exactly what the knock-on effects are. But if Alameda starts getting, you know, the long, the long arms of the law around it, and, you know, it seems like the U.S. government um, is freezing assets to do with FTX, which is an offshore exchange, via Tether. Uh, so uh, clearly, there's leverage here from the U.S. So I would not like I would not even worry about jurisdiction right now. Just know like stuff's going to get frozen and and confiscated and this and auctioned and we don't know really what's going to happen. But I would assume that there are a lot of assets 
uh, with not super liquid markets that are going to be affected. And that's where you see hidden leverage, right? So the FTT price now is causing extreme pressure on Solana and uh, really the entire ecosystem. Uh, they hold other assets as well, the big ones as well. Um, and so that's where you start to see hidden leverage. You know, they had like some some map app, like some offline map app that they added a token to, which obviously is like a massive meme because like, what is that? That doesn't make any sense. And then you have on top of it, like that apparently that was one of their biggest, like on the book holdings is a completely illiquid token for in a use case that doesn't have any sort of sense or logical sense around it. And that's where you start to see the frustration and, and the vitriol come out is like, how, how can this be like, this is, this is crazy, right? That we're standing. It's like, you think you're standing on the ground, but you're not, you're standing on air. And so, um, that's where I think the industry needs to grow up and mature and, uh, just grow up. I think ledger status said it yesterday, this industry, the space needs to grow the fuck up and, um, and being doing that, uh, and, and, and sort of playing Yahtzee with a Russian roulette more with, uh, with that kind of leverage, uh, and having that be the collateral, that's not, uh, that's not okay. And so we need to establish certain, certain base guidelines to make this space, at least not apocalyptic for users, right? You could have downside, you can have upside, you can have volatility, but this isn't volatility. This is like, you know, you're, this is like getting, getting, uh, getting completely misdirected, um, you know, and that's, and that's, uh, that's something that I believe needs to grow up. And yeah, I feel my, my heart is heavy for the space right now because that confidence that FTX imbued, uh, is now, um, it's rocket fuel to the downside and people are going to be scorned by this type of stuff, um, for, it's going to take a while to wash this stain off. And that's the part that I think is, going to be interesting to watch. Um, now, I do want to caveat that I don't think this affects the Bitcoin narrative, really. I'm going to be real. Not like at the, all. I don't, think, I don't think this affects the Bitcoin narrative. I, I, know this, that sounds, I, I know that sounds really kind of crazy to say at this moment, but you know, at the moment, whenever we do get a turning of the tides, and I know we're getting sort of towards the end of the episode here, so I want to like give more of a summary, which is that we just saw a softer CPI print, which is something that we've kind of been wanting. Um, again, unclear as to whether this is a, a permanent trend, but whether it's this month, next month, next year, whenever we start to see CPI really turning and inflation starting to pipe down, it'll allow the government again to sort of weaken the dollar, uh, to weaken yields. Um, and that's when you'll start to see uh, risk assets uh, go again. And in my opinion, all of this, in a weird way, you know, strengthens the, the need for immutable self-sovereign money. Um, and uh, it becomes a very, very uh, important narrative, especially in, in a, a world of tensions between, you know, leading nations, you know, sort of independent wealth and independent non-nation state wealth is very interesting. And I think that to the point you saw this seizure of, of Bitcoin uh, from like 10 years ago from the Silk Road days. Um, I don't know if you guys track that story, but there was a story about someone who stole apparently Bitcoin from Silk Road. And they tried to spin it as like apparently some shadowy super coder type thing. But apparently his his like, you know, incredibly sophisticated hack was that after he withdrew his money, he requested the withdraw again and it would re-withdraw the money because the system wasn't super sophisticated. So he pretty much just pressed the button twice and he got more Bitcoin out of out of the machine. It's like a vending machine that you shake and you get more more cookies. Um, but uh, apparently that was what made him such a shadowy super coder. And he hodled Bitcoin for like, it's a crazy story. He hodled Bitcoin since the Silk Road days of like 2012 or 13. And then when the... Uh, the Bitcoin cash airdrop happened, he, in, he he rage dumped in one candle every single one of his B, uh, BCH that he got uh, he, that he got and he converted them all to Bitcoin and hodled ever since then. And so in like the Bitcoin like scene, like they're like, what a Chad. Um, but so apparently this guy got brought into custody and eventually they got him to give up where he was keeping his, his Bitcoin and they seized like $3 billion of it. Um, and so all, all, I guess what I'm trying to say is they really went after this guy who didn't appear to have done like, I, I guess, yeah, he was stealing. He, he, he found a button that he could press for more Bitcoin on the Silk Road. Um, but, you know, it's not, I guess like the point is they're trying to go after Bitcoin right now and, and they really want to have a lot of it, the government. And so now I think with That's that seizure, well, that with that seizure, I believe the, the U.S. government is now the biggest holder of Bitcoin in the world or something. I, I, that's what I heard the statistic. I haven't checked it. But yeah, they're, they're like up there, right? And so to me, the importance of Bitcoin as an asset is not being, you know, not, not losing that sort of through the trees here is, is a really interesting uh, concept and, and one that I'm going to definitely be tracking uh, throughout this bear market. Um, but also, you know, like it's hard to say that, you know, there's anything other than, you know, a lot of anger uh, in the industry right now. Uh, we really, we, we really want to see the inflationary bear market start to resolve itself. And then I don't think Bitcoin, uh, I don't think Bitcoin, you know, stays down forever because of this, but I think Bitcoin probably gets held down longer than other asset classes. Probably the stock market will, you know, uh, have more unhinged rallies and stuff uh, while Bitcoin resolves whatever contagion is going on. Yeah. So first of all, can't wait for us to have that conversation, Elliot. Uh, I'm a Bitcoin guy. 
definitely not a crypto guy. I that can conversation. That one. I'm gonna be honest. Uh, we can postpone that for uh, for a while. <laughs> so Elliot, the way that one will go is Nick will be trying to like poke holes in the fundamentals of Bitcoin. Basically, he's gonna try to poke holes on the bulletproof parts and ignore the parts that he should be trying to poke holes in. Uh, but it'll be a, a really good time. What a great episode that we had today, ladies and gentlemen. We do this Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern time. Shit, I mean, with everything happening, Elliot, it's not out of the question that we have to do an emergency one tomorrow, make it a Monday to Friday thing. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I'm I'm open for it. I mean, I I mean, if this of these spaces, I mean, they've been growing pretty aggressively over the last few days and weeks. Um, obviously, there's a lot of news to cover, but let, let us know in the comments. Um, we want to make sure that we're providing value, not just sort of filling up the airwaves with hot air. Like we we really want to make sure that we're trying to you know, bring some sense of, of value add with all the content we're making. So what, what you're getting value out of, let us know what you think we're, we're wasting your time on, let us know. And we just want to keep improving and iterating. So uh, comment below and we'll try to make them better and better. Cheers. hundred percent. It sounds like we have a Bitcoin conversation in our future. That's going to be like my Super Bowl, And uh, that we, we also haven't touched upon the fact that Sam Bankman fried bought an aggressive stake in Robinhood. I believe it was like 7%. Robinhood's actually my former employer. Uh, so this, this would affect my bags if, uh, if something goes down there. Um, so we, we should talk about what the implications are for that on a future episode too. I'm sure we'll be talking about Sam Bankman fried for quite some time. Ladies and gentlemen, check out Elliot's YouTube channel, Elio Trades. Check out Imposters which is his gaming ecosystem built on the blockchain. He's not going to lever away your capital or whatever. I don't know. Just making a little joke here, a little FTX joke. Check out me and Nick's content on YouTube, on Twitter. Um, Check out our NFT, the Nifty Portal. Looking forward to catching up with you next time. Going to switch up the music a little bit, make it more of a theme. Uh, based on Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried, Do Kwan, some of these gentlemen that are really uh, taking interesting approaches to building businesses in Web3. Uh, We might be back tomorrow, but if not, we'll be around on Monday, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Shout out to the West Coast. Catch you guys next time.